Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, Banneker Bones and the Alligator People, and Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, all three of which are excellent, all three of which are available at fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, two 11-year-old boys who race around on jetpacks, solving mysteries and fighting monsters. It's a good time. It's a Marvel comic book, but in book form. Uh, and if you're curious about that, you can get that first book, Manica Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. It's an audiobook, a paperback, and the ebook is free, free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, so come into the Banneker's universe for free, get hooked, come see me with money for books two and three. We'll have a good time. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written some novels for older readers, such as the young adult novel All Together Now, A Zombie Story. Uh, and the Book of David, which is a five-volume uh, serial horror novel about an atheist who purchases a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. Uh, it makes me laugh more and more as the world begins to feel more like a simulation. Uh, and I wonder, uh, when I wrote the Book of David originally, I thought, I've gone too far here. But more and more, I think, no, didn't, probably didn't go far enough. <laughs> so that's been extremely affirming. Uh, if you're curious about The Book of David by Robert Kent, you can get the first volume of that, The Book of David, Chapter 1, uh, as an ebook downloaded for free whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. As always, check out middlegradeninja.com for interviews with hundreds of authors, literary agents, publishing professionals, folks you'd be interested in, guest posts by the same. Uh, of course, the entire back catalog of the Middle Grade Ninja podcast a schedule of what's coming up next. And you know what? Just about anything you would ever need in your day-to-day -day life could probably be found at middlegradeninja.com. So check that out. Enough, my God, let's get started. Uh, my guest today, Sarah, how are you this evening? Hi, Rob. I'm so good. How are you this evening? I'm thrilled that I got through the whole intro without stuttering. Feeling, <laughs> feeling I was impressed. I was like, wow, <laughs> I, I don't think I could do that quite so professionally. Well done. Once in a while, I wonder, am I going to get tired of telling people about the books every episode? No, I never do. I'm, I'm always thrilled to, to tell more about my books. And who better uh, to do that with than a public relations expert, somebody who knows about getting out there and spreading the word about books, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. As I say, the best place to get started is rather than me reading your, your bio and getting half of it wrong, uh, while you sit there and cringe, I'll just ask you, please give uh, esteemed audience an overview of your background. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so my name is Sarah Miniachi, and I am the Director of Literary Strategy at Smith Publicity, um, which is a firm headquartered in the United States, in New Jersey. I myself am actually Canadian. Um, I'm based in Toronto. Uh, so we're going international on the middle grade uh, ninja podcast uh, slash YouTube today and wherever else this is going. Uh, <laughs> and everywhere that fine and discerning audience members are located. <laughs> that, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the, the World Wide Web as, as it goes. Um, so I have uh, been with Smith Publicity for uh, nearly 10 years now, which is wild because uh, on the one hand, it feels like I've been uh, working as a book publicist for oh about a week, um, and on the other hand, I I feel like old as Methuselah, um, and like I've seen it all and done it all and worked with every type of author that 
you know, you could possibly think of. Um, so, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, I, I, um, I continue to be surprised and delighted uh, by our many encounters in the world of book publicity. Um, but I also like to think that I know what I'm talking about uh, in certain respects, um, particularly where promoting books and authors um, is concerned, since I've, I've devoted the better part of a decade uh, to, to doing just that. Um, so prior to book publicity, uh, I was in um, I was in publishing. Uh, I, I worked actually at a legal publishing house uh, for some time uh, while I was in university. Um, I then founded a uh, online independent literary magazine, uh, which we published as a quarterly for a few years, um, which was really sort of my introduction into the world of um, working with artists and creatives and writers and would-be authors and is ultimately how I how I ended up making the transition into being a full-time bona fide uh, publicist um, so yeah I, I hope that uh, is, a, is a primer I mean I could tell you about all my my, my many uh, varied uh, career paths and then stops and starts um, but I would say actually that um, I have spent the better part of my career, uh, the majority of my career in the world of book publicity. Well, I was just thinking a few years for a literary magazine, that's practically a lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's yeah. an amazing accomplishment to have kept it going all that time. So yeah. what uh, what did that teach you about yourself and about your love of authors that you then, I assume, carried over into your career uh, as a public relations expert? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think what that process really taught me and and which is how I ultimately wound up um, coming into publicity because I can't say that you know as a as a wee little girl I dreamed of being a publicist um, I I didn't uh, but I didn't not dream of it either um, I think I just always envisioned myself uh, working with and facilitating uh, coordinating um, artists and writers and creative people. You know, I was always a voracious reader um, as a young person, and I still am. And I love music, and I love visual art and painting, and I love performing arts. And the arts were always where I was drawn. Like, I was I'm not a science kid um, at all. I'm, you know, you, you, could, you could find me in English. You were dreaming of being an accountant as a, as a wee little girl. No, no. I mean, I I uh, majored in university in like the thing that you know you you qualifies you to like be a barista, uh, which is philosophy and English. Um, so I was a philosophy major, uh, and the magazine was really born out of this um, feeling that my my co-editor co-founder and I had uh, that there weren't literary magazines out there that were sort of speaking to our interests at that moment in time um, and we thought why don't why don't we try to do it ourselves I've always been a bit of a, a DIY gal I just have that spirit um, I feel like if it's not out there uh, I should maybe try to to do it myself. Um, I feel like Rob, you have that spirit. I mean, with with your books and your 
podcast and everything you're doing. You're like, you're, you're a doer. Um, so I think we probably have that in common. Um, so, you know, all of that's a roundabout way of saying that ultimately publicity just sort of seemed to be a thing that fit that I could do, um, that I, I sort of have a preternatural, um, sense for um i i while i wanted to be involved in the arts in the literary community especially i've never personally had like a burning drive or desire to be the artist i always knew that my role would be uh behind the scenes and that's sort of where i like it and where i'm more comfortable um and and where i think i'm i'm better at it too you know I don't think I'm I don't think I'm even capable of doing what my authors uh do really um and so what just out of curiosity when 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 did you realize that about yourself that you didn't want to be you didn't want your name on the book you wanted to be the person that had multiple authors that you're representing and, and bringing their dreams to them yeah I think the magazine was was where that that really started to um sort of surface uh, for me, you know, prior to that, I feel like I'd maybe been trying on some different hats um, in, in the creative realm, um, but none of them really seemed like they fit. Um, you know, I, I loved music, but I didn't want to be a musician. I loved literature, but I didn't really want to be a writer. Um, and so what I discovered in the process of, of building and running that literary magazine was a, that the publishing industry is just this like incredibly multifaceted, um, place with so many layers and dimensions and you can, you can just get lost in it for years and years, really. Um, so that really intrigued me, uh, and fascinated me. Um, and then the other part of it I discovered I liked was the sort of, you know, bird's eye view of having all of these contributors, all of these writers, photographers, artists, who I got to manage and sort of pick up a little bit of their magic and a little bit of their energy and, and get into um, what they were doing and, and help them get the word out about it. Because something that I discovered at that time is that people who are um, really creative aren't always the best at telling the world about what they're they're doing. Um, they find that process sort of daunting um, or just don't even know how to describe their own work. You know, it takes that sort of third party to say, this is what you're doing. This is, this is how to market it. And I actually discovered at that time in running the magazine, because, you know, we would do all of the things that one does to, to promote um, a, a new magazine uh, launching our, our issues. We would have, you know, parties and we would vie for media coverage locally and within the publishing industry. And I discovered that that piece, that traditional earned media piece was something that I, I both enjoyed doing and, and somehow had a knack for, um, you know, in our first year of running the magazine, we got some tremendous media coverage, both locally here in Toronto, as well as um, in the publishing industry, like new pages uh, named us one of the, you know, 10 best new literary magazines. And it, it just sort of snowballed and, and, Later on, years later, people said to me, how did you do that? And, and at the time, it didn't even occur to me like it was something that was hard or, or you know, that I sh shouldn't have been able to do at that time. Um, so I think in many ways, my ignorance was sort of a gift. <laughs> 
I like to imagine there's this moment while you're doing that, you're like, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, like a Robert Redford with his bat and the natural, and you, you you hold it to you and like, oh my God, this is this is the me. I, I I swing it and it feels true. This is this is what I do. Was was that the moment? I think so. Yeah, that's a, I've never heard that analogy, Rob, but I love it. <laughs> well, I, I I came up with it on the fly. If I I had more time to sit and think, I'd probably come up with a. Uh, a, a more timely example than a Robert Redford movie that came out, uh, I think, 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Someone hasn't been watching too much Netflix during quarantine. Hardly at all. I feel busier now in quarantine uh, than uh, I was prior to quarantine. And my Netflix queue just keeps getting filled up with recommendations that I'll get to one day. Yeah, yeah, you I and me both. Like, uh, going well. Somebody, uh, I saw it on Twitter. It was uh, it was an agent. It's not an original thought, but I can't think of who it was. Somebody that I've uh, talked with at the blog in the past uh, said that uh, when um, people were complaining about reading because, you know, when your mind's in kind of panic mode a little bit, oh, my God, there's a killer virus going around the world on fire. Um, it can be hard to uh, focus. I do find it a little bit of a challenge to write my own things. Uh, but as far as reading other people's things, it's never been better for me in, in, ter in terms of reading because I want to get lost in that world. And I find with television, um, I lose patience because the story is not moving at the pace that I'm ready for, especially if I'm watching something that has lots of long, slow periods and like I've already figured out who the killer is or whatever. Then right. I'm, and I'm thinking about all my problems for two hours waiting for this thing to be over. Whereas with the story, if I'm getting halfway through and you haven't done it for me, I'll just put you aside and pick up a better story. We'll be fine. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And if you want to stay up all night and finish the whole thing, it's like one of those, uh, it's like one of those Netflix series where it's like they drop the whole season at once. Um, you know, I feel like reading gives you that. Especially if you're reading classic literature. If the author's dead, my God, you have it all right there. Yeah, you can read the whole thing. Yeah. How, or, uh, how are you doing quarantine? Are you are you reading? Are you how are you uh, proceeding? I'm I'm doing great actually. Uh, I feel that in many ways um, I'm I'm sort of quite well suited uh, to <laughs> to quarantine. Um, I've I've worked from home. I've worked remotely uh, for for the past decade, uh, so that's not been an adjustment. Um, at all. Uh, my great passions outside of promoting authors and books, of course, um, are reading and cooking. Uh, so it's been an amazing time to do both of those things. Um, I've been having a lot of fun on, you know, social media, connecting with old friends and sort of meeting some new friends through, you know, hobbies I have and interests, um, like reading and cooking. Um, so yeah, I mean, certainly there have been obviously parts of it that, that are quite difficult. Uh, one of them for me is, you know, living downtown in a major city. You know, we don't have a ton of space. Um, now is about the time where you're like, oh, those big, those big suburban yards sure do look appealing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but outside of that, I really, Rob, I can't complain. Uh, my, my family and, and myself have, have stayed healthy um, and mostly upbeat about the whole thing. So uh, fingers crossed, you know, but um, in as far as in as far as this craziness goes in, in the world, uh, I, I count myself among the most fortunate for sure. Well, it sounds like uh, for the most part, is if, if we must be in quarantine, you are ideally suited and taking advantage of it and flourishing. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. And also, in, uh, uh, it's funny because 
I was actually chatting with a couple of friends of mine on the weekend. We have like our FaceTime chats that we do on Saturday nights. Um, and we were talking about being an introvert versus being an extrovert. And I, like people don't believe me that I'm an introvert because I sort of read as very extroverted, but I really am. Like I love spending time by myself. Um, and, you know, I think that's where my my love as a, a reader come, came from when I when I was a child anyways, because I would much prefer to spend time with a book um, than with friends sometimes, <laughs> even friends I really liked. Um, so that's been a quality that I think has served me well in quarantine as well. It's a tough time for extroverts. I've got some family members who are natural extroverts, and I know that this is so much harder for them than it is for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, my partner is is one uh, who, you know, loves a social life. Um, and I do, too. Don't get me wrong. But um, it holds a different level of weight, maybe. Yeah, no, I can go much longer before I'm uh, losing my mind over having not seen people. <laughs> so. Well, I tell you, I've got uh, a bunch of questions for you about um, uh, quarantine and how that's impacting uh, marketing, how that's going to impact strategies for authors who've got books to promote. Uh, but before we do that, uh, maybe I should ask you to tell us just a little bit about uh, Smith Publicity. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, so Smith Publicity is a pretty cool company, and I don't just say that because I work for them. Um, well, 10 years, if, if they weren't a cool company, you'd have found something else to do by now. Right. That's a great point. <laughs> um, so Smith was founded in 1997 in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, by our founder and president, who is still an active uh, member uh, of our team and our company, Dan Smith. Um, so Smith was really started as a one-man shop, basically, you know, freelance home office sort of situation um, and has grown uh, over the past since 1997 um, uh, 20 I told you math wasn't my forte um, <laughs> you don't you don't see me jumping in to help oh numbers you say no, exactly. <laughs> 20 something years and this shouldn't even be hard because we're in like an even year right now but I digress. Um, Smith has really grown into uh, being one of, if not the largest, uh, dedicated book publicity firms in the country. Um, so Smith has grown, I think we have about 20... 20-something publicists, um, all of whom come to our team with various backgrounds and, and personal uh, histories and, and hobbies and interests and knacks um, in our publicity team. You know, we have people who are great at, at business nonfiction. We have people who are all about, you know, YA. Uh, we have people like me who love, like, weird genre fiction and art books, um, and the list goes on and on. So we work with such a wide range of authors and publishers um, from first-time debut self-published uh, authors to publishing houses like HarperCollins um, and Simon & Schuster uh, and some of their authors and, and key titles. Um, so, you know, we have, we have a really interesting and diverse uh, company uh in in so many ways um yeah and i love our team good that that's got to make working with them much easier <laughs> it does it does yeah because for all of the many wonderful things i will say about publicity today it is not a stress-free job 
So there does tend to be this misconception about um, about publicists in particular that, you know, it's this TV version of, of being a publicist where it's like, we're always on our cell phones and going to cool parties. And, <laughs> and it's like, that is 3%. Not, not even 3%. That is like 1% of the job. The other 99% is just hard work. Um, so it is really important to have a supportive and fun and capable team, which I really am grateful for. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, by this time next year, maybe you can get that uh, 1% up to 5%. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, exactly. Now it's like 0%. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. If you, uh, if you had been a, uh, a jet setter on a cell phone all day, wandering around parties nonstop, well, this, this would really uh, curb your uh, lifestyle. <laughs> it would. It would. <laughs> Although I will say, you know, us... Uh, publishing publishing nerds um our big event to or our big events to look forward to are always like book expo in may and the ala midwinter and the london book fair and all of those were canceled this year you know that's like our one that's like our three-day period to to party and have fun <laughs> that's typically you, you usually attend all of those events every year yeah yeah we do um yeah, Book Expo in particular tends to be a pretty large presence for Smith. Um, I haven't been to London personally, but as a company, um, I have been to London, but not the London book for the London Book Fair. Um, and, but I have been to the Frankfurt Book Fair um, and I have been to ALA. So, yeah, our, our company is pretty active in, on the trade show circuit. Um, it's a great way to connect with our existing uh, clients as well as meet possible new ones and generally just network in the industry as well as support our authors. Um, you know, last year at Book Expo in New York, I think I had six or seven authors who were doing major autographing area events there. So that was the glamorous part of the job that everyone sees on Instagram. So you get to go around snapping selfies and saying, these are my authors. I yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Please clear room for the author. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, well, I tell you, maybe the best way to get started then is to talk about how the job worked prior to quarantine, and then we'll talk about how we're amending it to quarantine. So prior to quarantine, back in the you know the the, the before times, um, if uh, an author has a great book, it comes to you and says, "Help me promote this book." How do we get started? What's your what's the first one? How should an author reach out to you, and where does the conversation start? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, and to preface this, I do want to say that in some ways with certain projects, uh, lots have lots has changed uh, in since the before times. Not for every project, though, because as the media landscape has been shifting digitally anyways, um, podcasts and blogs and in online influencers and bookstagram and YouTube all becoming much more uh, significant players in the publicity space. Um, in some ways, you know, this crisis could not have come at a, at a better time where people are more equipped um, for it because nowadays we do have all of these digital opportunities to promote which we were already taking advantage of but 
I'll go back and answer the actual question. <laughs> um, I like that we have a fluffy visitor. Uh, Mabel the cat is making her uh, once an episode appearance for those of you watching on YouTube. Hello, Mabel. <laughs> All right, bye-bye, Mabel. <laughs> Cats. Um, so it's actually a pretty big question, Rob, and I, like, I almost need to break it into parts because there are so I many. It is as, as straightforward and specific uh, or as, as, as small and specific as you need to, to, to get the best answer. That's great. Okay. Um, so first and foremost, when, when an author approaches a publicist, my, my first ask, you know, what, what you can do to, to really be an ideal client um, is know what a publicist does. Uh, you would be surprised by how many queries we get, um, not just from authors, but from all sorts of other sort of stakeholders in the industry um, who... I think because marketing can be quite an amorphous term and mean a lot of different things, um, don't really know what we do or what a publicist does. And that's fine. We're always happy to educate and teach. And, you know, as a firm, we are unique. What we do is unique. Um, but I think that first and foremost, that self-education piece is so important for any author um, or, or publisher um, or publisher who is also an author. Uh, and I have some of those um, as they're, they're sort of coming to the table for a discussion with a publicist. Uh, the second part of that is being if not really, really clear and specific, which is like the ideal, at least having some sense of what are your goals from this endeavor of talking to a publicist or a publicity firm or a marketing person. Um, again, you know, we have many conversations um, where people approach uh, Smith and say, I want to hire a publicist, I want to market my books. And my response is, why? I mean, I know all of the the sort of ordinary uh, responses, uh, oh, to sell more books, oh, to, you know, have better name recognition in my genre, oh, to get the word out about, you know, my new release that will be coming out next year or what have you. But the more specific you can be about those goals, the more we can actually design a plan to help you. Having just the really big goal of to sell more books, it doesn't help me know what to do for you right now. Because selling Make more books- rich and famous, go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there, what is really, really helpful and, and what I would love anyone listening to this or, or watching it who wants, you know, advice on, on how to approach conversations with a publicist and how to make it not just a better experience for me, you know, that part doesn't matter as much. I want it to be a better experience for you. I want an author to be able to walk away from the process of having publicized or marketed the book and say, that was money well spent. That was like, that has helped propel me to where I wanted to be. Um, so first you gotta know where you wanna be and then we can help you get there. Um, so generally speaking, and you're gonna find that my catchphrase throughout this conversation, Rob, is it depends, because it does depend. Um, it depends what genre you're publishing in. It depends whether you're self-published or traditionally published or somewhere in the middle. It depends on what your goals are for that book. But 
most of the time we do want to start working with an author in advance of the publication date. So it's generally not an ideal situation when we receive a query like, my book came out three weeks ago and it's not selling very well, can you help? Um, much like any other form of entertainment or media, restaurant openings, you know, film premieres, you see the reviews of them when they launch, not six months later, generally speaking. So the thing you always have to keep in mind with a book is that a book takes time to takes time to read. And, you know, many of the more prominent reviewers and podcasters and influencers out there, they have stacks that are like a mile high. So you got to get in, get in line to, to get that coverage. Um, so we want to, in some cases, I've started working on books up to eight months prior to publication date. As soon as we have an advanced copy available, um, we can get started on building a marketing plan uh, around that. Um, so that being said, that's an eight month lead time is going to be for a certain type of lead title that has a significant budget and there are very specific goals and metrics and, and, and so forth. For let's say you're self-publishing your eighth science fiction novel um, and your goals for it are very specific. You know, you want to make sure that it gets into the hands of sort of some of the key authors and influencers in your genre space. And you want to focus on some podcasts in that sci-fi space and you want to do some limited traditional media um pitching to sort of the mainstream outlets or to your local media, we can get started on that much sort of later in the process, like six weeks prior to publication date might even might even cut it at that point. So it's going to be really challenging to give sort of across the board answers because it all comes back to what I said about what are your goals? What's the project and what are your goals? And then we'll work backwards from there. I want the one special secret that will always work for every author to make us immediately successful. And then we can call it a show. We'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll wrap up early. We'll go to bed. <laughs> My question for you. My question for you is if I had, if I had that answer, because I think some people sometimes think I do, can you imagine how much money I could charge for it? <laughs> if you told me, I'd edit that out of the show. Uh, we don't we don't need a steamed audience to know that that would be just for me. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say at that point you're like, uh, okay, we're going on we're going on mute. <laughs> Technical difficulties for breaking up a steamed audience. Don't worry about it. Um, so okay, so I come to you and we've got that eight months time. What are some reasonable goals that would be reasonable to to, to achieve? So one of them is definitely, and a goal I always really like because I think it's something that publicity can genuinely help with is raising your profile in your market, in your genre areas, you know, sort of defining your readership and then saying, I want to use this book to build a bigger, better, more significant and more esteemed profile with that audience. So that let's say you're writing historic World War II nonfiction um, or World War II historical fiction. Um, there are obviously, you know, many, many authors um, in that 
space, as there are in most genre spaces. You know, we could look at YA fantasy and say there are lots of authors in YA fantasy, or there are lots of authors in, um, you know, yoga health books, or there are lots of authors in, you know, sort of self-pub romance. There are lots of authors in every genre. So having a goal to build your profile and build your audience is going to be much better than a sales goal from a publicity standpoint, because the relationship between sales and publicity can sometimes be a little, a little tenuous. Um, publicity is all about building visibility, whether or not that visibility translates into people going and buying the book is another question. And that's really where the book comes into play. Um, the book has to be compelling enough for people to want to go and buy it, or it just has to be right time, right place. Um, but if we have the goal of really a more long-term vision um, of building your name or building the name of your series, building Banneker Bones to be one of the series that people rattle off when they are talking about books in your genre, that we can that we can look at, that we can do. So what we might start with is first and foremost, working with you on your messaging. Um, so this sort of comes back to something I mentioned earlier, which is that authors aren't always very good about selling their own work. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's sometimes like the parent child problem. Like, you know, every parent looks at their child or most many, uh, and says, aren't they, aren't they beautiful? Aren't they perfect? Aren't they so talented? And can't they do everything? Um, but as a third party, I can say, well, they are very beautiful, but they're not that good at soccer. <laughs> you know, they're not going to be like David Beckham. But, you know, as your parent, you can't you can't quite see that. Um, so having that third party perspective on the messaging around the book can be so essential because I just feel that oftentimes authors and even publishers, because at the publisher, it's the editor and they usually have a deep sort of connection to, to the book, too. Um, they have a hard time defining it in a way that will make sense to someone who's never heard of it before because uh, they're too deep you're too you're too close to it you need to sort of take it's the editor whose job it is to sell the book to to keep their company going and then they're they're too close to sometimes get that perspective to get that book out in the world uh, yeah yeah absolutely um because they've been in the weeds with it for a long time um, and sometimes it's that sort of losing the forest for the trees uh, situation where an external publicist or a marketing person can look at it very immediately and with no no prejudice, as they say in, in sort of legal terms, um, say it's going to appeal to this kind of reader. That kind of reader is not going to touch it. Um, and sometimes the author thinks, no, but it's it's for every reader. Uh, but your publicist or your marketing person may may know a little better. Um, because it's our job to be analyzing the market and working with reviewers and working with media and keeping a finger really close on the pulse of what those trends and tastes are. So one of our first rules would really be to help you refine your messaging so that it's resonating with the people who are your key demographic. So we've got to define your demographic too. And that's oftentimes something um, that we'll work on together. Although to go back to something I said earlier, 
what's really wonderful is when we're working with an author or publisher who already knows that um, and has a really clear handle on who their their demographic is. Sometimes we need to help you figure that out and sometimes we don't. Um, once we have the messaging established, what we will do is work with you on building a priority get list. So that could be newspapers and magazines, that could be podcasts, that could be certain blogs or YouTube channels. But basically, where does your audience live? Where do they consume information? Where do they learn about new things that they want to read or watch on Netflix or listen to or, you know, buy for their home. Um, so again, because it's our job and we do it all day, every day and have a real finger on the pulse of what's happening in the media landscape, we're going to generally be better equipped to make those judgment calls about what kind of audiences live where, um, and where your book is likely to resonate. Once we establish that Git list, uh, we will begin outreach to the top, uh, the top Gits, um, which are usually also the longest lead Gits because they're major influencers and therefore they have everybody coming at them with a stick all the time, <laughs> basically. Um, so- Oh, I know the feeling. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, let me uh, let me slow down just a little bit for the folks that um, that are that are uninitiated. So let's say that we've got a middle grade novel. I don't know. Let's do a girl and a horse. A uh, girl and a horse, but the horse uh, comes from outer space. That's that's our twist. Um, we've got eight months time. How do we go about deciding who the audience is and what our top gets are? Are maybe are you asking for the author's input? Let me write down my top ten, and then maybe the editor. And start with that, or how? How do you go? Where do you go to get your finger on the pulse without giving away all your secrets? Yeah, and honestly, Rob, that's usually a very collaborative process, um, and oftentimes it it really comes from the author and publisher. Oftentimes, they do know best in that respect because they wrote with that audience in mind, or they were inspired by X, Y, and Z authors, filmmakers, artists, other people. And so we can then sort of reverse engineer um, the marketing and we can say, okay, well, people who like, you know, the, the cat that came from outer space are going to like the girl, you know, with the horse who's an alien. Um, <laughs> That's a reasonable assumption, I think. Right, right. Um, so that's usually very, very collaborative. Um, and it does take time to to figure out and, and to refine. And oftentimes it's evolving as well. Or oftentimes a project will have many different layers to it. And so because publicity and marketing are honestly more time intensive than, than anything else, I, I often find, um, we'll develop a strategy together to go out after different markets in targeted ways at different times so that we're building a really layered um, and nuanced approach. So maybe one week or one month will be focused on sort of the genre and the science fiction community. But the next month, we will look more at the author's background and the fact that 
you know, the girl with the horse. Maybe they grew up in a rural area and are a passionate equestrian and we can leverage that angle with horse media or with human interest media who are writing about um people and animals or you know horse horse people are their own thing there's a whole horse realm of fiction out there actually so i i shouldn't really get too deep in the weeds on that or else the youtube comments are going to come for me um (laughs) (laughs) but um madam i am a horse fan you are no horse fan oh yeah sure that's right. That's, and I actually am a horse fan. Like I do ride horses sometimes, but um, for this then. Oh, right, right. So we might we might say, and and this is important actually. Um, you know, science fiction is is a good a good uh, or or even horror actually. And you mentioned you write horror, which is awesome. Um, I promote a lot of horror. It's one of my favorite genres to work in. Um, but uh, that is a that's a really important point where we talk about that layered target audience, for example. Some science fiction or horror is, you know, what I would almost call um, hard. Uh, so it's it's deeply scientific or it's it's super intense and scary and not for the faint of heart. Other science fiction is more like dystopian, accessible, world building, stuff that people who don't have, you know, engineering degrees can follow. Um, you know, I've worked on I've worked on science fiction novels where it's like you need a, a PhD in, you know, biochemistry to even understand what's going on. And so with a book like that, it's like your target audience is very narrow. But if you're able to effectively identify them and then tap into them. You're a success. You will be successful. Um, it's when you go general instead of specific that things are going to be more difficult for you. Okay, so the more specific, the better. Uh, and then, um, okay, so we put together our list, and we've got that eight-month uh, window. It sounds like we're every month we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, how involved does the author need to be? Is the author kicking back and working on that next book, or are they? Uh, they attending all the events that you're booking for them? Are they co-booking? How uh, how how are you going to work best with an author to get them set up for success? It's a really good question, and it really depends again uh, on the nature of the author, on the nature of our engagements. You know, this is are we are we working with a traditional publisher in tandem with their in-house team? In which case, their in-house team their in-house team might take the lead on things like organizing events and be looking to us to just support with uh, local media outreach to ensure that news of those events is you know broadcast to the appropriate channels um is it an author who's you know brand new to the the world of of marketing um and needs sort of full full court support uh in that respect um which which we would be capable of providing um is it an author who's comfortable doing events you know i've worked it's funny because i've worked on projects with authors who are like event pros like are just amazing in front of an audience and that is where they shine and that's where a lot of our marketing emphasis thus goes um and it's successful because of it and I've worked with other authors who are like 
they like writing. They're happy to do some media, but they don't really want to be out there on the road uh, talking to, you know, they're just, they're introverts um, and they're not that comfortable in front of a, a big crowd. Um, and those projects can be very successful too. So this all sort of comes back to that upfront assessment of the project and where it's going to work. You know, Rob, something I say now that social media has become such a behemoth and something that many authors believe that they must do. You know, I have to be really good at social media um, in order to to be successful with my book. And, and my point is often, no, you don't, because if you don't like it, it that's going to show um, and you're not going to be good at it as a result of that. Um, and nobody likes sort of attending an event where where an author is joyless or or following someone on Instagram when it's like clear that they're just sort of going through the motions and posting really boring content and, you know, just clearly disengaged. What we have to do, and I think what we what we really work with our, our clients to do is find your sweet spots, find those things that like make you feel joyful and like you're tapping into the audience that you that you wrote the books for I mean I would think that you as an author you know you're you're like imagining a kid uh when you're when you're writing Banneker Bones who's gonna follow on along with these adventures and and be excited to read them you you know who that is I'm sure in your mind do you well I know his name got a photo of him he his mother sent me to him uh, he's dressed in the Banneker costume uh, wow. So I know exactly what he's going to expect. <laughs> sure. Although I uh, never say no to uh, readers outside of that, but sure, I've got a very specific idea that I'm looking for a child between the ages of 8 and 12. Um, go a little bit older than that for the kids that, that uh, like to read down, but I'm very aware that a lot of my audience is going to read up. So sure, I've got some idea of who my audience is in mind, but my audience is always a little bit me. I would love to have someone uh, like you in my corner who all you, not all you do, uh, a part, big part of what you do, your, your, your expertise is identifying, um, identifying audiences. So, okay. So we're trying to identify the audience. I come to you with my, what do we say? Girl and a ho- uh, girl and a horse and the horse and the alien. Um, wonderful. First thing you say is let's get you hooked up on the middle grade ninja podcast that we don't even need to say that she expects that. Uh, so that makes sense. But then how are we going to target audiences beyond the little girls who like science fiction? How are we going to get more specific than that and drill down to find who, who we need to come out and support this book? Right. So first, we need to get that key demographic. Then we can start building out. So I love to hear that you you know who your reader is for Bianca Bones because you're such a savvy author like you could teach classes to authors and you do with the middle grade ninja podcast you know you have these very enlightening conversations oh I have classes I charge for too that's a good time oh do you (laughs) that's awesome so uh, fiction workshops on a regular basis I love working with new authors what we were saying so how are we going to find these uh this this ideal audience to target Right. So first and foremost, we have to define, you know, who's that sort of like, I almost think about it like concentric circles, right? Like who's the the middle, like 
the fire at the center of this target demo. Then we can sort of start building out from there into people who are more casually interested in genres or subjects or, uh, you know, connections that the author's background may have. Um, and then, of course, when it comes to that sort of like outer circle of major mainstream pop culture, like we're talking, you know, the Hunger Games and, you know, Twilight and, you know, whatever the kids are reading these days i am showing my my ignorance on my sleeve there um like all my references are from like 10 years ago <laughs> no, i would get in trouble i have to say they are reading the books of every author i've had on this podcast <laughs> so that's how i have to answer <laughs> well no, I mean, great point. Uh, you have some amazing people on this podcast. So, you know, those, those like that outer circle of just mega star media and visibility, like we're talking the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, People Magazine, like, I've got to be honest, that's partially skill and having built a, a wonderful product that's already resonating with its audience. Um, that's a really important point um, I often make with my my authors is that those types of outlets, they don't really like like creating news. They like covering news like they like covering things that momentum is already happening with. But the momentum already needs to be happening. So that's where like our little sort of our, our inner circle fire starts and then we can start building out. And then if you look at that top A type A tier one media, the, the most major mainstream stuff you can imagine, that is half hard work, having a great product, having a great publicist, doing all of the right things. The other half of it is luck. Um, because once you get to that point, um, there are any great number of, of projects that that could go the distance, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you know, and I know that I've I've read novels, I've seen things where you know it should be bigger than than the biggest pop culture franchises in the world but it's not and why is that um you know it's the it's the same reason why some people win the lottery uh but you can't while there's a project with virtually no marketing that word of mouth spreads and lifts it up and it becomes the the world's biggest thing out of nowhere exactly and it is like lightning striking you cannot bank on it um, so we need to start with that little focused core audience and think about them like a flame that we can then like stoke the fire and build it out further, build it out further. But if we only have like a, you know, a measly little like two sticks rubbing together, like a little sparks going on there, it's very unlikely that we're going to be able to start to reach those more casual fandoms or audiences um so that's where i would always start okay um sorry you, you lost me a little bit with the metaphor so what does two people rubbing rubbing sticks look like how, <laughs> how how do we know if we're if we're there and and when we need to build beyond that sorry uh you know i was just sort of trying to say say that like if your if your impact with your core target demographic is weak, that's 
and that's your weak little like spark, almost a flame, like not quite a fire. Um, you're not going to be able to expand that out further. You need to first focus on getting that little core fire really burning bright, really that that key demographic of, you know, let's say like 12 year olds who also, you know, like X, Y and Z authors who purchase whose mom's purchase or dad's purchase, you know, these types of products for them. You know that that's your audience. If you're doubling down on that audience and making a real significant impact with them, it's going to be much easier for us to build, build out to more casual fan bases. Um, but if you haven't even really started to succeed with your, with the people who should be most naturally inclined, uh, for you to be successful with, then it's going to be much more difficult. Yeah. So now presumably if I'm the uh, editor, if I'm the author, uh, and I've gotten to the point where I'm about to come to, to Smith, and I assume you know, nice things cost money. There's probably some sort of investment w- within there, yeah. uh, and I'm 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 getting to that point. Presumably, I've had somebody other than my mom and my wife read the book. Um, I've gone out and I found some beta readers. I've gotten that feedback. I hopefully I'm I'm at least to that point. What would you recommend? What's a good way to make sure that the author has done their homework to know that they're going to hit with that audience? I mean, you can't know before you know, but hopefully get some idea. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think all of those things are the right things. Uh, you know, beta readers, certainly. Um, another big one, though, is building your community and your network. Um, you know, something I, I've seen a good, good amount uh, in my years of publicity is authors who get so focused on themselves and their own work that they're not paying attention to what anyone else is doing um, in specifically in their in their market. So let's say it's it's horror fiction um, and they show up and they say, I have I have written the the best manuscript. This is you know, this is like nothing else. But they've not read anything else in a great number of years. They don't know what's going on in the genre market. They don't know who's a big deal, who's not a big deal, who's, you know, really successful on social media, who are the major influencers. Um, and they haven't really started to, like, build that that community. Um, it's going to be a much steeper learning curve to tapping into the target audience because they don't even know where to start um, and they don't know what their competition looks like and they haven't built any relationships before they're going to start asking for something and that's a really big thing I talk to my authors about is your first your first interaction with someone can't be asking them for coverage or for a review we need to give in order to get you know the authors who are generous who have blogs and review other authors books on them or have the middle grade ninja podcast and interview other people and feature other people's work are going to be much more likely to when their moment in the sun rolls around when their new book is out see this whole community of people band around them and and also get that early 
early feedback from that community too. Um, you know, the alternative to the 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 would be you know author who has this manuscript and you know it's the best thing ever, but they don't know what else is going on. Um, is the author you know I recently in in horror in the horror realm heard from one of the um, bloggers that I've been working with for like the past six years, and he is just. He's a fabulous reviewer and fabulous person and a real passionate advocate um, for authors and publishers in the genre. And he sent me an email and he said, Sarah, wish me luck. I just completed my first manuscript and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited and I'm going to self-publish it this fall and um, just wanted to let you know that. And I'm like, this guy has built up so much goodwill in this community that over the, over years that they're going to lift him up and support him with his fall launch. And I, even me as a, a book publicist, you know, I said to him, Hey, you know, I, obviously I'm, I, I'm a publicist and, you know, it's a career and we don't, we don't, uh, you know, we're not the Peace Corps. We can't do pro bono work uh, for, for, for everyone we love. But I said, you know, if you have any questions throughout this process, like, let me know. I'm, I'm happy to, lend an ear, lend, lend a word of wisdom. Um, and so I know that that's a long answer to your question, but I hope that that sort of helps give some insight into why showing up with that manuscript, sort of not knowing, not knowing heads from tails is a bad place to be. Uh, you, you really should have started the, that process of understanding your target market and building relationships in it much before even finishing the book. Gotcha. Makes sense to me. Devil's advocate question, because I kind of know the answer, but I want to throw it out there to hear your, yeah. your, your take on it, uh, is why can't I publish the world's best book, make sure that's up and looking great, and then over the however many next years, I'm going to be going out and about shouting about uh, the other books I'm going to write, uh, start talking, um, you know, start talking, about, look at this wonderful book. There's not that many people here this week, next week. But a year from now, two years from now, one day my readers will come. Why Why is that not a good way to proceed? Because I'm, I'm assuming it's not, but I want to know why it's not. Well, that really is going to depend on what your goals are. And I was recently talking to uh, a writer, a journalist about this, um, and something we, we sort of stumbled on in our conversation was that not every author wants to, I don't want to say wants to be successful, because obviously everybody wants to be successful in some capacity, um, but I have encountered uh, that that unicorn of authors who is just like, I just write because I like it and I just want to release my books and whoever, you know, comes across them does and I, I hope they enjoy them. But, you know, if I have 10 readers or 10,000 readers, it sort of makes no difference to me. I do this because it's something I, I love. Um, and I'm like, okay, like more, more power to you. Like, that's awesome. Um, you know, I think if you have something that you're that passionate about and that's sort of your attitude towards it, then sure. And maybe by the chances of the fates, something great will happen, but probably not because discoverability is a huge issue in books right now. Um, there are more books being released 
right now and in over the past several years than ever before. Like between the self-published books and the traditionally published books in I think 2018, there were over 2 million books published that year. Um, it's again, my, my math, uh, you know, failures are showing, but like, it's like something like a book every like 10 minutes is, is, is being published. Um, and that, you know, spans the gamut from your major New York Times bestsellers, who are a very, very small piece of that pie, um, to lots of self-published ebook only projects, to stuff in the middle. So if you're just going to let your product like languish on Amazon or online retailers, nobody is ever going to find you back there. Um, it's basically like hanging out in a super crowded airport back when, you know, those were a thing. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever see a super crowded airport again. Um, but it's like hanging out at a super crowded airport in like a dark, you know, corridor, like just sort of sitting with your head down and like hoping that someone comes and like taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, you know, your flight, your flight's boarding. Um, that's not going to happen. No one's going to find you. Uh, you're just going to sit there until I don't know what happens to you. Security kicks you out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are just, there are too many books um, that unless by some absolute miracle, someone buys your book, firstly, someone finds your book and then they buy it and then they actually read it. And those are like three steps that are very unlikely to happen at that point. Um, but presuming all of those steps happen. And then the fourth step is they read it and then they tell people about it and they're like super influential um, and people listen to them. So this is basically like you, you might as well just play the, the Powerball, you know, lottery because it's, it's more likely that you will win that than that that will happen. Um, you, you could do things like, write the book and write a great book and categorize it correctly on Amazon and set the pricing competitively and all of that stuff is going to, is going to help maybe, but the competition is fierce uh, for readers attention. And there are only so many books that readers can read. And I'm constantly astounded by many of the reviewers and readers and influencers I work with who read like five books a week and I have no idea how they do it. Um, I feel like very accomplished if I read one book a week. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, oh, I am so such a fast reader and so smart. Um, but you know, those are super voracious readers. So those, those people do exist, but even for them, um, that nowhere near comes close to the sheer volume of, of books that are being released. So you have to do something to to find your audience and i'm not saying that it needs to be traditional earned pr um, and media and there are many many things that authors can do independently that don't cost a penny um to get the word out about their books you know pr is just one of them um so if you if you need to hear me talk more about why that's a really terrible idea, um, I would be happy to to talk you off the ledge at any time. So uh, please go to smithpublicity.com and find my email. And <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and uh, send send Sarah your your best arguments for why it will happen this one time for you. 
Uh, and, and if she has time, she sounds pretty busy, but if she has time, she'll, she'll shoot them down and, and give you fresh insight as to why uh, you're better off playing the Powerball. I love that. <laughs> that was very specific, very much. Uh, uh, if, if that doesn't get the message through, I don't think anything will. That's great. Um, so, okay, well, let's um, uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about getting tangible results. I haven't forgotten we promised to talk a little bit about uh, quarantine and, and COVID-19 and, and how that changes things a little bit. Um, but, um, so I can talk about that just slightly if you'd like me to. Um, so here are, so Rob, you're an indie author Uh and I imagine a lot of your audience, our our esteemed audience, uh, here today, um, are also indie authors and, uh, have been largely relying on digital retail Anyways, pre-COVID. So what I want to say to you guys is you, indie authors, uh, and traditionally published authors, you'll be fine too, um, but indie authors in particular, you have actually an enormous advantage in this after time or, or you know, sort of uh, the, the age of, of COVID, which is that as indie authors, it's very likely that you've not been relying on robust brick and mortar retail distribution anyways to sell your books. Um, your books haven't been on the front table of Barnes and Noble, and that's why you know they sell millions and millions of copies. You hustle for every sale you have, and you guys are really good at digital marketing, at understanding Amazon optimization and your categories and your pricing strategies. So for the authors and publishers in that big five landscape for whom a a significant chunk of their sales annually or quarterly comes out of that brick and mortar retail distribution space, this is really hard for them. Um, This is not as hard for the indie author. In fact, much like I'm really well equipped to deal with Uh, the quarantine having worked from home, I feel that indie authors are really well equipped to deal with the post-COVID world where you don't have that robust support from brick and mortar retail. Um, You know, physical, even physical bookstore events aren't as much, or book tours aren't generally as much of a thing for the indie author as they are for, you know, the big five traditionally published um, author. So, Use your knowledge of the tools uh, that you've already been using to your advantage in this landscape because you have everything to gain right now um, from a new digitally focused world. And traditional authors, check in with your indie authors, see what they can, uh, what tips they can give you to, to help move things forward. Uh, 100%, absolutely. Mm hmm. Well, I love your enthusiasm for self-published authors. Do you, as a as a publicist, have a preference, knowing that if you're working with an indie author, they can uh, have a little bit more flexibility with pricing, uh, with uh, if they're you know if they're if if they've made some poor decisions so far and they come to you with a book that has an absolutely dreadful cover, you can say, hey, fix your cover, things like that. So you probably don't have a preference, and if you did, you'd be You'd be crazy to tell me. Um, but uh, what are the the two different approaches that you'll take with an indie author versus a traditional author? Is the better way to phrase that question? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. Um, so obviously, both have their benefits and drawbacks in more ways than just 
marketing um, potential. So depends on the genre is one of the things that it really, and it also depends on where the author is in sort of the, the pecking order if they're traditionally published. Um, so something we've noticed at Smith is that in, I would say, the past five years, traditionally published authors have begun to recognize and their agents have begun to recognize that they need to act more like indie authors, even under the umbrella of a major house. Because unless you are what I sometimes call the golden child, um, which is, you know, that that author who gets the six-figure advance from PRH and a $500,000 marketing budget and, you know, you're the golden child. You're the one that they decide, they all decided that season it's you and it's your book. And we all know those books. We've all seen them. Some of them have gotten in trouble recently. Um, you know, American Dirt was a great example of a golden child that gotten a lot of hot water. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, that was a golden child book where many months in advance, everybody in this, in the industry knew that the publisher was sinking a ton of money into it and was, you know, putting, putting the full extent of their weight behind it. Hello, Mabel. Mabel is the golden child in this household. <laughs> Not content to be ignored any longer. She will, she will take her adulation from esteemed audience. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, okay, so being the golden child, that sounds like uh, putting your content out there and waiting and hoping, and we all want the stars to align and for that miracle to happen for you, yeah. um, but it might not. So assuming that uh, the audience that's listening today is not going to be that golden child, what should they be doing? Right, so those are the golden children, and so you know, make no no sort of false assumptions that, that you, you will be one. Again, being a golden child is sort of like winning the Powerball. Like, I don't know why it happens. It's way above my head in terms of how agents and publishers sell books. Um, but for anyone who is a traditionally published author who is not the golden child, because those exist too, right? Like not every book that the major houses sign are the ones that they decide to put all of these resources into. You need to be industrious and entrepreneurial and sort of treat your book like, um, like, a, a, an indie published author would obviously you're going to have some limitations like you're not going to be able to set your pricing you know independently you're going to have to be more collaborative on the editing and the cover design but where marketing and publicity are concerned there's no reason you can't do pretty much all the same things that an indie author could do um, in terms of building your platform, um, being active in your in your genre community, being active with your local media and local booksellers. Um, I've worked with many traditionally published authors who are mid-list or debut and recognize that while they will have the benefit of an in-house publicity and marketing team, that that team is spread across many different titles and many different authors and has many competing priorities. And therefore, if, if they truly want their book to be successful, they're going to need to take a lot of that into their own hands. The self-published author, on the other hand, or the, the hybrid or the indie published author, um, tends to get uh, inherently that 
all of that's going to be their responsibility. So I find that there's sometimes less of a learning curve uh, with with uh, indie authors because they're like, yeah, I know I'm going at it on my own and I don't have, you know, this sort of machinery behind me that's that's going to ensure the success of, of my book. Um, and Which is so, also true of a lot of the uh, traditional authors that just don't know it. <laughs> but that, exactly, that's exactly what what. what I, I, I was trying to to get at there, which is that um, they're they're more cognizant of of the lay of the land, um, but not always. So, in terms of what are the differences of how we would we would sort of promote or approach those types of projects, the the primary difference would be that in the traditionally published uh, case, we would have to be collaborative with the publisher and the in-house team we'd have to get a really good gauge on and the author you know i often encourage the author as well to like ask more questions of your publisher like what are they planning to do are they planning to put the ebook on sale at any point when will the audio edition come out are you gonna be able to um offer you know advanced digital review copies via netgalley to reviewer communities or are they doing print arcs only or are they not going to offer any print arcs? Or there are so many questions at that point that you you don't have any control over um, as a traditionally published author. But you do need to be proactive in asking the questions and learning what, what you're sort of dealing with. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then something I wanted to, to touch back with, uh, with you on is just this idea, and it's an impossible question, and I know that going in, so let me just preface with that, so there's no, there's, there's no pressure on you uh, to fully answer this, because it's a possible question. Um, but how should we be measuring our, our tangible net gain from having gone with Smith Publicity versus another uh, publicist? Uh, the impossible question, if, I can't, if we can't guarantee a certain number of sales of the book that makes it a little bit difficult for me to figure out how much can I afford to spend on my publicity if I don't know what that back end looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how should I be measuring my success? How do you know that that yeah that that you've achieved your goal? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good question, and it is a really really hard one to answer. Um, in terms of how you should be measuring your success. I think that that all comes back to what was your goal in the first place. Um, So having a clearly defined goal, uh, which is like one of the first things I I sort of harped on about uh, is so important because, you know, we find as well that when we're working with an author who doesn't have a clearly defined goal at the end of the process, it can sort of be like, and we don't want it to ever feel like that. We like having clearly defined goals. So, Here's what you can expect from a professional publicist. Here's what you could expect from me, from my colleagues at Smith, is you are going to have a true partner in the process of promoting your books and building your brand strategy. Um, In terms of publicity, Something I often say, Rob, is that what we do, it's not rocket science, it's not brain surgery. It's like, yes, there's strategy, but more than anything, it is stone cold, hard work. It is 
building the lists, doing the research for the right contacts, getting to know those contacts. So it's not just a cold email to some freelancer who covers, you know, YA for the Washington Post. It's like building that relationship over time. Uh, so that's something a publicist brings to the table um, that an author is going to find to be a lengthy, years-long process. Um, for us, it's our full-time job to have those relationships. So when it comes to like that reviewer for the Washington Post or that list of 100 bloggers who cover horror and science fiction and have followings of upwards of 50,000 readers. Um, I have that list ready to go. For for you as the author to, and, and I'm regularly maintaining it, I'm regularly maintaining contact and maintaining relationships and building trust. For you as the author to build that, that's gonna be really, really challenging. Um, and it's gonna be very time consuming. It's gonna take you 10 years like it's taken me, but probably even then not because, um, you don't have new things to send them all the time. Um, so I wanted to make that point that it's not rocket science because what you can expect from a publicist is that they're going to bring relationships uh, and knowledge of the landscape to the table that you yourself don't have. Um, and it's going to take you a long time to, to build. Um, they're also going to work hard on your behalf. You know, I, I brought that up that it's not rocket science and that it's just stone cold hard work because it is. And frankly, most authors between writing their books, being creative, often working a job in addition to, um, writing, having family and, and social obligations, adding 10 hours of promoting your book every week on top of that um, is virtually impossible. Um, and that's what a publicist gives you is, is like the manpower, the, the hours. Um, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in you will get out of something what you put into it. And your publicist is putting hours. They're putting work. They're putting all of that, those many years of, of, relationship cultivation and network building in your genre into your project. So what I can assure a client of is that we will work collaboratively. We will work transparently. We will work with you to define and then build a strategy towards achieving your goals. And we'll work really hard as well. We'll work really hard to be your advocate and your partner and to take the 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 success however it may be that you define it whether it's profile building or sales or both or neither we will take that goal to heart and we will do everything that we know how to to help you achieve it um a big part of that i have to tell you is transparency you know i think where a lot of um a lot of issues stem from with publicists and marketing people is sort of when you hand someone some money and then you don't hear from them for like six weeks, um, which is something I've heard uh, happens. Um, you know, at our company and what I do, we, we do weekly reporting, weekly calls um, with our clients so that, you know, we're checking in, we're making sure that we're, we're staying on track and we're brainstorming and we're talking through questions and concerns. So those are really the guarantees that a publicist 
can give you. For me, a big red flag with a publicist is if they're guaranteeing anything else. Um, if they guarantee, yes, I can get you, you know, 15 radio interviews and and five, you know, book reviews and newspapers, and because at that point it's not publicity. Publicity is earned media, um, and earned media can't be can't be bought and paid for. Um, so. That's my that that's that's my spiel on measurability and and sort of accountability. I know that it's a a difficult thing to wrap your head around, and uh, it is one of the hardest parts of our job is is to not be able to say quite clearly you're going to invest this and you're going to get that. Um, but I do believe that especially at Smith, you know, we've been in business for, for over 23 years now, um, or over 22 years, whatever. We were founded in 1997, um, and we worked with many thousands of authors and publishers. And, you know, I like to think that that sort of level of, of longevity um, in publicity, which is often quite a fly-by-night industry, um, wouldn't be possible if, if we were leaving a lot of, you know, dissatisfied disgruntled clients who didn't feel like they got what they paid for over 23 years they'd have taken you down by now <laughs> exactly yep i think anyone who's been uh, listening to this conversation uh certainly it's been impressed upon me uh that you know more about publicity and have forgotten more about publicity than i that i've ever known uh, or could help to learn in the you know eight months before launch or or, or whatever i'd need I had an anecdotal bit of evidence, but I do find because people send me or constantly books and things, potential guests for podcasts, and I've got some publicists that have cultivated relationships, uh, a relationship with me over the years now that if they send me a book, if, if it's an unsolicited email, I'll check it out. And there's a much higher probability that you're getting my form answer. Yes, I've got one. Sorry, not for me. Versus, oh, it's my friend, the publicist. This does isn't that interesting, but I know she wouldn't send me something if she didn't think there was something here. I'm at least going to read the full thing before I say no. That's right. Yeah, that's a, that's a, thank you for saying that, Rob, because that's actually such a good point and such a big part of what we do um, is, you know, there are some media contacts with whom it took me three years to just even get past their spam filter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and that's where hiring a publicist who has experience is really gonna gonna serve you well. And then once that's happened, it's about building that trust, which is why we publicists are protective above all else of our contacts. Um, and you know, I will be the first to say to an author who says, "Oh yeah, you know, oh oh oh, can we pitch me to the Today Show? Can we pitch me to this?" I'm like. We do know the guest bookers at the Today Show, and the answer is no, because you're not right for them right now. And if I were to send that pitch, there goes my trust with that guest booker. I don't send bad pitches to people who I know won't be receptive to them. Now, that's not to say that the Today Show doesn't decline many of the pitches I send them, because certainly they do, um, but they also accept some of them. Um, and that's on the basis of building that trust. Just like you know, when you receive those emails from those publicists you work with, like, 
oh, you know, it's it's Judy. She doesn't send me bad stuff. I've booked, you know, three interviews through her before and they've all been great. And so you've now built a level of trust that we can get past that like initial filter. Whereas like you said, if it's like a random form, like, you know, dear Rob, I am the author of X, Y, and Z trilogy, which you can find on Amazon. I have six four-star reviews. It's just like, oh, okay. That, you know, it's a tougher sell. Here's a picture of my fifth grade class and how excited they are to be holding my book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good for them. And it's like, that's great. But, and that again, actually comes, comes back to what we were talking about, about the messaging and that authors are not always the best at like knowing they're knowing how to present themselves. Um, and it's the same as, you know, the author with the sort of misguided expectation that, you know, oh, well, my neighbor says that I would be perfect for the Today Show. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm, that's lovely that you have a supportive community, um, but you're not there yet or not with this pitch or, you know, w- what have you. Um, so I really think that... Uh, something to look for in a publicist. Um, you know, if anyone who's watching or listening to this, um, is sort of curious as to like what some of the flags are. Um, Sorry. I said, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I was just going to say, I think one of the flags is how, um, how seriously does your publicist take their contacts? Um, are they sort of haphazard and casual about them or are they, you know, quite, quite protective? Um, and to me, that tells you the quality of the publicist you're dealing with. And I don't mean protective in respect to not being transparent because, you know, we're very transparent with our clients about who we're talking to and, um, you know, the names of the producers, the shows that, that we're working with or the names of the reviewers. We'll even at times share contact information if it makes sense to do so, um, particularly where there's like a pending opportunity that might need coordination after our campaign time has concluded. So we're not protective in the sense of, being sort of guarded or not non-transparent, but we're protective in, in the sense of we'll push back a little bit. Um, and I think if you if you are interviewing a publicist who's like a, a yes man, who's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yes, absolutely, we'll pitch that. Well, like that, you might want to have be a little suspicious. Got you. So if you don't get any pushback, all yes. Give me your money. Uh, I'll talk to you in six weeks, six months. <laughs> I'll let you know what I did. Yeah, give me your money. I'll guarantee you 15 shows and, you know, no, no reporting schedule, no accountability, no no team. Um, that Those might be some flags. And so you're talking to your authors every week. That's got to be a busy week. What does your, your average day and your average week look like? Oh, Rob, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I don't know what my average day or week looks like Um, because I have so many different types uh, of clients who are wonderful. And, you know, some of them I do speak with every week. Uh, Some of them I speak with biweekly, sometimes on alternating weeks. Um, We have different phases of, of a campaign that we'll be in. So, you know, perhaps during the active release phase, we're talking like every other day, but then during the long lead like eight months out phase we don't need to talk that often maybe 
once or twice a month. Um, so what does my average week look like? Well, typically on Mondays, I'll spend a little bit of time in the mornings doing my update reports. Um, so that's just recapping for my clients sort of what the past week looked like. That might include bullet points about, you know, team brainstorms and new angles that we came up with or researching new contact lists um, in different areas. So just like we talked about how there might be like layered target markets for a book, um, maybe one week we're going after the sort of like arts and entertainment guides space, but the next week we're really going to target, um, you know, Southern media because the book is set in the South or the next week we're going to target, uh, you know, romance bloggers. Um, so we sort of fragment out what target markets we're hitting that will be reflected in the update report, as well as people who have expressed interest, requested review copies, digital or physical, um, the list goes on. So the update report really provides like a snapshot of what was the activity over the past week. So I'll spend a little time on Mondays doing that. Maybe have a call or two in the afternoons. Tuesdays, I generally in earnest start pitching. Um, so that's, you know, emailing and mostly emailing, but sometimes over the phone. It depends. Um, uh, Tuesday and not Monday. Um, because Monday just tends to be an admin day for me. <laughs> Oh, okay. I didn't know if there was some unspoken rule that no one would ever want to look at a new pitch on a Monday or... No, 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 no. And often I will pitch on a Monday. I'm just talking about my typical week. My typical week, I, I'm sort of getting my ducks in a row on Monday and figuring out what my strategy for the week is. And then Tuesday, Monday afternoon, Tuesday, I'll start pitching. Um, and then my week is interspersed with with uh, calls with my clients, with, with scheduling requests for interviews, with providing providing um, review copies or like digital assets like uh, like photos of the author or um, book cover JPEG or, you know, coordinating uh, guest posts or op-ed requests. Um, you know, the, the list goes on. We work on so many different types of things. And then, uh, and then on it goes from there. You know, really, there is no typical week. I, I wish... Some sometimes I wish that there was, um, but for the most part, it keeps me on my toes, and I, I wouldn't trade it. Something I think that people don't necessarily appreciate is that any coordinated appearance, uh, for just the most basically any any podcast episode, certainly involves a minimum of at least about three, usually closer to ten emails, somewhere in the middle, and each one of those takes a little bit of time to, to sit down and write. And that's uh, you know just people getting in touch with me and getting the information back and forth that they need. I can't imagine if you're doing that. How many uh, authors are you on average uh, representing at, at a given time who have active projects? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it really depends. Um, you know, as a company, um, we sort of have averages. Like, I think our publicists sort of average between two to five at maximum uh client clients at a time authors that they're working on at any given time but that depends on the publicist and it depends on the nature of those projects as well um so sort of the level of intensity involved obviously our you know our fees range depending on how how much we're devoting so some projects are sort of weighted differently um than others i might only be working on two projects but they're both super 
high profile, high maintenance, high energy, high attention projects, or I might be working on five, which are more sort of uh, basic, you know, standard package type campaigns where we have very clearly defined roles and and to do's. Um, so the different types of projects for different different types of authors um, or different styles of campaigns. You know, another consideration and and one of the great things um, about Smith and and my team um, and our executive team is we well our founder Dan Smith uh, is is male. Um, we are a very uh, female oriented company. Um, virtually all of our publicists, uh, with the exception of one, uh, who is our vice president, uh, Mike, um, are, are female. Um, and we have a lot of working moms and we have a lot of uh, diversity on our team in terms of capacity. And we have long been a company that we have a head office in New Jersey, but even our staff who works at our head office, um, work from home a couple days a week. Now we all work from home all the time um, with COVID. So, you know, some of us like working more accounts than others uh, or work more accounts at different stages in our life. Um, so, you know, a colleague who's going on mat leave soon is going to be on a slightly reduced uh, campaign load than me who is hanging out up here in Toronto with my cat. Um, and I love to keep busy. So, And I assume the ideal situation is you uh, build a relationship with an author. You're not going to represent them for one book. You're going to represent them over a career, right? That's right. Yes. And we are so fortunate that we have so many uh, return and repeat clients. You know, I have I have one right now who I'm working with on this like fourth or fifth book um, now. And, you know, that's a, that's an ongoing long term relationship. And it's like I wouldn't let any of my colleagues touch him. It's like <laughs> that one is mine. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, which which can can sort of change things a little bit in in the account load department, right? Because when we have a returning client who you know we love and we become very close uh, with our with our authors and our clients, you know, I've made some wonderful friends over the years. Um, some of my best friends are people who I've represented at some point or another. Do um, uh, and. You know, that can get tricky because then it's like, oh, I already have, you know, four accounts right now. But then, you know, oh, Robert has a new book coming out. OK, I got to jump on that one. So, well, you know, we it's 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 always a balancing act for sure. And uh, something I saw that you're involved in is I want to make sure I get this right. It's at dia uh, was it Diaspora Dialogues. Diaspora Dialogues. Yeah. Dialogues. What What is that? So Diaspora Dialogues is a um, nonprofit organization uh, that is based up here in Canada, uh, where I am, of course. Um, and it, I, I recently joined the board. Uh, I was lucky to be invited um, to, to join the board um, after I gave a talk at one of their, uh, they do like semi-annual workshops um, for for writers uh, and and also for the sort of literary community at large. Um, so they're a really tremendous organization that supports uh, 
writers at all stages um, of their career and across the diaspora, um, as the, the name might suggest. So, you know, a real emphasis on um, diversity and representation from the community. Um, and I want to clarify that, you know, that's every kind of, of, of diversity in terms of demographics. Um, it's socioeconomic, uh, you know, racial, um, gender identity, um, age is, is one that people don't often think of. Um, but I, I think it's a big one and it's something, you know, we're, we're very, um, cognizant of a diaspora dialogues so really supporting writers and story storytelling um at all stages of, of a career not just the you know 30 under 30 or you know this sort of you know group of people is is currently coming um is coming under a lot of attention like it's a it's an organization that has developed uh, programming workshops um programs to support writers in their craft through all stages. Um, so for example, one of the uh, more sort of notable programs um, is a mentorship program um, that's offered, which uh, sees young, sometimes young, sometimes not young, new, uh, I would say, I would say more like new writers um, work with an established author or even you know journalist in their field um, to develop and sell their manuscript, short story, play, what have you. So it's a really amazing organization, which I'm very fortunate to uh, to be involved with. Sarah Maniachi, have you ever seen a flying saucer, and do you believe in them? I have not seen a flying saucer. I have seen a ghost. Oh, um, well, that's just as well. <laughs> Even better. Continue. <laughs> yeah, I have seen a ghost when I was little, and I stand by the fact that that the house I grew up in was haunted. Not not a malicious ghost. She was very nice, um, but she did weird weird things uh, regularly. So that's a fun fact. Um, you know who loves flying saucers is Dan Smith, our company president and founder. Um, Little known fact about Dan Smith, but uh, he's a he's a UFO guy for sure. Um, yeah, I, I believe, it, but I do believe in them. Well, it sounds like um, it would be essential for working with uh, Smith Publicity. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny you say that because I'm now like surprised, knowing what I know, that it wasn't on the intake sort of questionnaire <laughs> in the interview process <laughs> and uh, this 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 ghost that you saw as a child what kind of weird things did it do um she would like so firstly i i feel that i did see her uh and it was a was a female um she would like knock over the vacuum cleaner in the middle of the night or like change the color of the chalk on like my little chalkboard where you know I'd go to sleep and it would be blue and I'd wake up and it would be yellow um just, it's like weird stuff like that <laughs> cool. yeah I know it's <laughs> one of my favorite things about the show is that that oddball question you never know what you're gonna get all kinds of great stuff what yeah now I feel like I need to listen to other other episodes and see what other people said because I'm like wow I sound really 
really out there, maybe. Oh, not at all. If you uh, esteemed audience goes back and uh, listens to my conversation with uh, Francesca Zappia, wonderful young adult author, she recorded that from a haunted house and was describing uh, some of the things that had happened to her in the room she was sitting in. Fantastic conversation. Um, uh, so you never know with this show. You get all kinds of interesting things. I do. Uh, I I, I want to be respectful of your time, and I appreciate you being so generous with this this evening. Because I feel like uh, we've got ourselves a little master course that folks can listen to uh, and be uh, extremely well informed about uh, publicity um, uh, afterward. If not, if not quite to expert level, on their way. Um, but I always want to end while we're still having fun. Uh, so I've got about two more questions for you, and then we'll think about calling it a night. Does that sound reasonable? That sounds great, Rob. Yeah, thank you for having me tonight. This is fun. My uh, next question is is a big one, and and obviously uh, I, I always point out the date when we talk about COVID nineteen. It is June fifteenth that we're recording this, and this will go live in July. Um, so anything that happened after June fifteenth, we don't know about. Uh, so that's why we're not commenting on it. The aliens landed on the twentieth. We had no idea June fifteenth that it hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you foresee this impacting publishing and more important publicity going forward uh, for authors? What, what are your predictions knowing that nobody knows everything that's going to happen? Yes, indeed. Oh, isn't that a big one? I feel like we could talk for a whole two hours about this one because I certainly do have a lot of theories. Um, prediction number one, uh, books are currently being made culturally, socially, entertainment-wise relevant again in a way that I feel that they sort of haven't necessarily been um, in the age of social media and Netflix and all of these alternative forms of entertainment. Um, both anecdotally and uh, statistically, I think more people are reading than ever. Uh, reading has has sort of regained its footing as like a pastime and something that's sort of a simple pleasure that can be done in isolation and and solitarily. And I think people are really rediscovering uh, some of the joys of, of solitary enjoyments <laughs> like reading. Um, so I'm very optimistic about the future of books and literacy and reading uh, post-pandemic. I, I hope that it's something that stays with us and I, I suspect that it will be. Um, you know, we go through these waves culturally. Um, and I really am feeling like uh, on a number of levels, the sort of wave of the of the short attention span is coming to an end and people are more interested in like long form uh, storytelling and entertainment uh, where books are, are perfect. Um, I see uh, increased emphasis on uh, ebooks and audiobooks. Um, which, you know, we're already seeing, but I think as um, COVID-19 does what it's going to do, you know, we're going to see what happens in in the coming months, um, that brick and mortar retail and that even like like shipping um, are becoming less essential in a way that we we sort of previously maybe perceived them to be where you know prior to this it was like oh well if I you know if I can't get it shipped with prime in you know 24 hours then I don't even want it um people are sort of adjusting to things taking a little longer um but with 
publishing, we have this enormous benefit and other angle, which is the fact that we have instant delivery digital formats um, of, of work available. So I do see a surge uh, in, in that area. Um, I think also that my final prediction, and this sort of has more to do with marketing and publicity, is that while this has been a very challenging and stressful time um, in many ways, it's also brought about some sort of overdue changes um, and and modes of, of thinking or doing when it comes to promoting or marketing a book. You know, for a long time, those of us on the front lines of, of publicity and marketing have known that digital media um, and virtual events and podcasts are the way of the future and are really essential, valuable ways to connect with audiences that have nowhere near the the overhead or sort of level of difficulty that that coordinating you know some of the more old-fashioned forms of, of publicity like a physical book tour or you know bookstore events or trade shows like we've known for a while that those things don't really have as much bang for their buck as they used to um but i feel that there's been a lot of resistance <laughs> um over the years and it's like, but this is the way we've always done things. Um, this has thrown that on its head and it's forced every publisher in the world, every author to get creative and to try new things just out of sheer desperation where previously, you know, they didn't want to do Facebook live events, for example. Now, everyone's doing a Zoom, everyone's doing a Crowdcast, everyone's doing a Facebook Live. And you know what we're discovering is these are amazing ways of bringing together readers and authors um, and getting the word out. And they have eliminated physical borders and boundaries. You know, now it doesn't matter if the author lives in Nebraska, but, you know, most of their readers are in in Portland. Um, you know, the, the web really does, like, take down borders. Um, so I do see increased uh, increased opportunities for sort of new modes of thinking and new models of doing things, more emphasis on social media, virtual events, less emphasis on, on the sort of old-fashioned um, way of, of launching a book. Makes 100% sense to me. Uh, and then uh, my final question is always some variation of uh, advice for authors. Uh, but since I have you and you have all of this expertise on, uh, on, 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 on marketing and publicity, for any question that I should have asked and just wasn't smart enough to think of it um, that, we've, that we've missed, if there were one or were you five or ten, however many you're comfortable with, things that you wish every author listing would take to heart, a bare minimum of what authors should be doing about publicity, what they need to know about publicity to market their books, what would you want them to know? Ooh, big one. Big one to, to cap it off. Um, number one, we are so fortunate to live in this information age where there is so much 
information and so many resources literally at the click of a button. Um, do your research. Uh, you know, I think a lot of authors are very surprised by how much work goes into being an author outside of the writing part. Like the writing part is, 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 and I think you know this, Rob, the writing part is like, I don't want to give a percentage, but it's not, not all the work by any means. Um, so, you know, before you, you sort of blindly walk into, um, launching a, a, a book with your head in the clouds, you know, re really do your re research and understand what you're getting into and, and what it's going to take by way of just sheer sort of hours, um, and, and, and manpower, uh, to, to achieve your goals, build your community. That's a, that's a really big one. Um, you know, no, no writer is an Island. Um, and I think that if you, if you operate, you know, completely independently, aren't paying attention to sort of what your contemporaries and competition is, is doing, um, aren't networking and, and, you know, I don't like that term like networking because it feels very inauthentic and it feels like something scary. Um, but networking is really just connecting with people who are interested in the same things that you are. Um, and building a tribe, building a community is something that I have seen some authors do so successfully that frankly it's virtually eliminated the need uh, to be paying a publicist because they, they build their own little crescendo um that that builds this sort of self-sustaining momentum um working with a publicist can then like supplement that and and really help it take off but it's all about building that little fire to begin with right um and once we build that little fire we can sort of stoke it and get this big roaring uh, flame going. Um, so do your research, build your community, um, set realistic and achievable goals uh, for yourself. Um, you know, just like anything, you know, I think it's a mistake to go for your, your first, you know, run um, and then say, I'm gonna run a marathon next month. Um, and yet it's something I see authors do to themselves all the time uh, is, you know, publish their first book and say, if I haven't sold, you know, 200,000 copies by, you know, within the first two months, then, you know, I'm going to be upset. Um, set realistic and achievable goals for yourself. And, and that comes back to doing your research. You know, what are those realistic and achievable goals? Like, I can't recommend enough that you subscribe to industry news and newsletters, um, and keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on. Like there are great resources out there from publishers weekly to shelf awareness, uh, publishers marketplace, um, where you can see what, you know, what the average author is making, what sorts of publicity strategies or, you know, marketing things other authors are doing and then learn from that. Um, so I think fi my final bit of advice would, would be constantly be observing and learning, um, not just creating and promoting. You know, you can get sort of sucked into this uh, vortex where again, you're only, you're an island, you're only paying attention to your own work and what you are doing. 
But the more you can look outwards and be learning from from your community, um, I think the better informed you're going to be to make the right choices uh, for for yourself and not be like spinning your wheels, um, doing stuff that that you dislike and that frankly isn't isn't going to be that effective uh, for you to begin with. And so actually, that was a lie. My final final tip <laughs> is. Don't do anything that feels inauthentic or incongruous with who you are and why you decided to do this in the first place. Um, I think that protecting your joy and your passion for creating above all else is absolutely essential. Don't let anyone talk you into doing stuff that you hate. Um, in the in the 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 mission to become the author you want to be. Um, if you if it makes you feel icky, it's the wrong thing for you to be doing. There are a thousand and one different ways to market a book. And I believe that they're all on the Smith publicity website. Um, and surely some of them are going to work for you. Uh, but some of them aren't and that's okay. You don't have to be good at everything. Um, you don't have to be, you know, the wittiest, funniest person on Twitter and also, you know, write the most thrilling books. Um, Think outside the box, be creative, learn from others, but ultimately be true to yourself um, because really this is such a special and joyful thing you're doing as a writer and creator. Um, and I never want to see that uh, get, you know, sort of sucked out of someone um, in the, the necessary evils of, of marketing and promoting a book. Where, uh, Sarah, where can esteemed audience find you online? Uh, get can contact with you, reach out to you, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love to hear from you guys. And if you are still listening to my my rants and, and raves, uh, thank you uh, for sticking with us. And um, go buy Rob's books. He's awesome. Um, I really look forward to, to reading some of them. In terms of where you can find me, if you want to get in touch, um, you can find me at smithpublicity.com. Uh, we have a contact page or an about page, and you will find my shiny little headshot and uh, email address there. Um, I am also on Twitter um, where my name is just my name, which is Sarah Miniachi. Uh, Miniachi does not have an H despite the pronunciation. It's M-I-N-I-A-C-I. Um, and LinkedIn as well would be a good place to connect. Um, I am also on Instagram, um, but I mostly cook and make pasta there. So if you're a, a little bit of a foodie like me then uh you can go find me there otherwise twitter would be the place i talk about books and as always esteemed audience find me at middlegradeninja.com head over there read all those uh, great interviews get the full back catalog of the show download your free copy of Banneker bones and the giant robot bees uh read this week find yourself a book just just for fun not not to review just to, to bring you pleasure in this this cold and frightening world find a nice book to keep you warm god willing i'm alive esteemed audience i'll see you next week